everybody. This is Andrew speaking, and this is Aztec Sportscast, and you're listening to KCR College Radio, the San Diego's best AM and FM station. Um, across from me is Brevin. How are you doing today, Brevin? Doing great. We got another Friday here. It's April 26th. It's 3 o'clock. Um, you know, I just can't describe another perfect San Diego day. Yeah. Sun's exactly. out, blue sky, not Sunny. a cloud in the sky. I know. <laughs> uh, so we have a guest today's uh kyle betts senior writer for daily Aztecs. welcome back kyle thank you, you. Today? yep thank you for having me back great to be here now we got a couple of things that we're going to talk about today in our rundown uh starting off we're going to talk about some stsu sports coming up uh stsu baseball team the nfl draft last night the nba playoffs mlb and some padre news and discussions about it now, uh, I'm just going to toss it back to Brevin and start off with our uh, women's tennis. Yeah, speaking of tennis and speaking of all our Aztec teams, it's championship weekend for eight of our ten teams here at SDSU. We're going to start with tennis on the women's side. They are the three seed in this year's Mountain West Conference Championships right here at the Aztec Tennis Center. Yesterday, they beat Colorado State by a score of 4-2, to the Rams being the sixth seed. And with the win, this is the Aztecs. First semifinal appearance since 2014 and for the first time in five years. Right now, they're facing the two-seeded Air Force Falcons. They um, um, have lost their first point uh, from the doubles, but are looking to get it back um, with their singles matches. And Kyle was at the game yesterday, uh, or at the matches yesterday against the Rams. And Kyle, what was the mentality like playing Colorado State and heading into today? Well, they came out strong. Uh, they won the first two doubles matches that they both played, and then the third one went unfinished. And then they came out pretty hot from then on in the singles. Nanana Nadozi uh, had a strong performance, shutting out her perf- uh, her opponent, actually. And then uh, they pulled off the win. It was 4-2, uh, to two, so good win for the Aztecs there. They head into Air Force today, uh, currently uh, in progress playing uh, the single matches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and speaking of Nendozi, she is uh, 3-1 in her singles match against Kristen Kerrigan from Air Force. All right, let's head to the men's side where they are the four seed um, in the Mountain West Conference Championships up, up at Fresno State. They are they played the five-seeded UNLV Rebels yesterday. The Aztecs won 4-1, to one and they're six, this is their... At, this is the Essex. Sixth straight year to make it to the conference semis. They played number one top-seeded New Mexico um, earlier today. And it came down to the final match of singles where Jan Kirchhoff for the Aztecs won 6-2 or 1-2-6-6-4-7-5. So it, it took the final two sets to win um, and move on to the championship game for the Aztecs. They will take... Um, I'll get to that later of who they will get to, um, who the Aztecs will play um, heading into tomorrow. All right, let's head up to lacrosse where the Aztecs are taking on Fresno State tonight. The, the Aztecs are the two seed in the Mountain Pacific Sports Federation Championship Tournament up at UC Davis. Like I said, the Aztecs are taking on Fresno State tonight at 5 o'clock, and the winner will take on the top seeded. UC Davis Aggies on Sunday at 1 o'clock for the MPSF Championship. All right, let's head to track on the women's side. They are taking on the Steve Scott Invitational up at UC Irvine. This is today and tomorrow. Um, All the races will be tomorrow. 
In addition, the Aztecs have two one-day invitationals. The first one being in Provo, Utah at BYU for the Robinson Invitational, and the other up in or out at University of Arizona, out in Tucson for the Desert Heat Classic. All right, women's golf. Like we said last week, they were the they um they won the Mountain West Conference Championship by one street um one stroke over Nevada, and as a result of them winning the Mountain West. Three out of six were named to the All Mountain West team after winning the conference. Um, um, Joya uh, Carpinelli, Fernando Fernanda Escadiza, and Sarah Kelly, Kelker um, were voted to the All Mountain West team. And as a result of winning the conference, yes, uh, last week the Essex received an invite to the NCAA Regionals on May sixth through eighth at the Tumbleweed Golf Course in Cleon, Washington. They will be in the um region. All right, Andrew, take away with the rest of our sports. All right, thanks, Brevin. So our women's rowing team will be at the Western Intercollegiate Rowing Association Championship in Golden River, California. They will be playing tomorrow and Saturday. And our uh, women's water polo, which they ranked 17 in, in the country, uh, they'll be They'll be the number two seed in the Golden Coast Conference Tournament, and they will be facing number seven seed uh, Santa Clara in a few minutes in about uh, 3.15 at Fresno State. And the winner will be headed into the semifinals tomorrow at 2.30 p.m., and the loser will play tomorrow at 11, 11 in the morning tomorrow. And men's golf, they'll be playing at the Mountain West Championship at the Obney Tucson Nation Golf Course and Tucson, Arizona, today and tomorrow. And our soft team will be at Colorado State for a three-game uh, series. So game one starts tomorrow at 3 p.m. Mountain Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time. And game two is tomorrow starting at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 p.m. Pacific Time. Game three is on Sunday, noon Mountain Time, and 11 in the morning Pacific Time. And our bas our baseball team, sorry, will be at UNLV for a game for a three game series. Tonight they'll be playing at six PM. Tomorrow at six PM as well. And on Sunday they'll be playing at one PM. And speaking of our Aztec baseball team, overall they're twenty twenty five and seventeen right now and have a ten and seven Mountain West record conference. And they will be, and they will be playing the weekend series, like I said, against uh, UNLV at, at Las Vegas. And they won the um, the game uh, when they were playing the Toreros here across our cross rivals on Tuesday with the score of four to two. And when the Aztecs play at the Fowler Park, they're eight and one. So basically, they pretty much um, own the mm -hmm. place right there. <laughs> yeah, when the Aztecs, uh, you know, when it comes to a rivalry game. You know, and big games, and they know, you know, not just USD, you know, they, they turn things up. You know, we remember, um, you know, playing, talking about the Aztecs winning at Corvallis up at Oregon State, um, winning two out of three uh, at Cal State Fullerton for the first time, I think it was since like, since like 1965 or something like that. Yeah, Coach Martinez said that um, on uh, talking on Extra 1360 um, last week. Um, Coach Martinez also uh, talked to Extra 1360 this week about um, his team and where his team's at right now being um, eight games over 500 and only a game back of Fresno State for the top spot in the Mountain West. And 
you know, we touched on the young talent and pretty much what he said is based on our guys learning how to win our experience level throughout the lineup. And it's not that we have young kids. It's more kids that don't have the division one experience. And, you know, that, you know, we see that especially, I think not just offensively, but I think we see that more on the pitching side, especially with the injuries that we've had, the, the pitchers that have set up, have to step up, Aaron Eden, Michael Perez, just to name a few. And, you know, Kyle, you look at this um, Aztec baseball team, you know, um, how has that young talent um, helped this team out? Well, young talent's really just had a big impact on the team, especially in the uh, pitching. Um, one player that stands out to me is Aaron Eden. You know, he's had some uh, good string of performances lately. So players like that just really seem to carry the team. Yeah, another thing that Coach Martinez talked about is the the type of baseball they've been playing last week. He said, we felt that the last month or so we've been playing better baseball and we're still growing as a team. We feel like we are building momentum, hopefully towards the end of the regular season and on the postseason. And that's what you want um, any team, you know, any college team that you want, any momentum that you have heading into the conference tournament, especially being the reigning conference tournament champions. Mm-hmm. And a question for you, uh, Kyle. Uh would you consider Casey Schmidt so far the MVP for the offensive side? Uh, yeah, I definitely put him up there. I mean, he's been really consistent this whole year round. And uh, going back to what Brevin was talking about, you know, just with Schmidt having these younger guys uh, being able to learn and look up to players like Casey Schmidt is really helping the team, especially with uh, guys like Leonhardt, Paredes, you know, mm-hmm. guys like those. Um, really, just showing how much of a good of a leader Casey Schmidt is for the team. And for the pitching side, would you agree that um, Adrian um, Marderduero is the MVP for the pitching side? Uh, right now, I'd say so. Yeah, I mean, he he's, he had a, struggled uh, a little bit a couple of weeks back. But mm-hmm. other than that, I mean, what he, that, honor, that honor he received was a National Baseball Player of the Week. Yep. And, uh, you know, just very consistent as well on the pitching side of the ball so yeah i'd probably put him up there too and he he'll definitely be a mlb prospect at some point oh yeah mm-hmm. just wait till next year because he is a junior right now and you know just wait till his senior year when he starts getting more appearances whether that's you know throwing long innings like what he's done out of the bullpen or just coming in for one inning yeah 100 percent. and yeah and we touched the base about two weeks ago that the Aztecs, you know they were struggling a little bit you know towards the middle of the season and uh, they came out with that uh, long stretch of uh, winning baseball. Is there a good chance that they can um, outright um, beating Fresno State and taking the um, the lead for the Mountain West? That's going to be the goal, I think. You, you know, for a team that has won five of the six, uh, five of the past six Mountain West Conference tournaments, you you kind it's kind of like an expectation that. You know, it may not just be the regular season, but it's more focused on the tournament because the tournament is where you get that automatic bid to the NCAAs, to getting to a regional, you know, and for this program wanting to win a regional and get to a uh, super regional and wanting to get to the College World Series, to want to be with teams like Oregon State, to be with teams like LSU and Texas Tech. Yeah, I think it's going to be difficult for the Aztecs. Um Obviously, you know, they had that series here in San Diego a few weeks back, but uh, both are 25-win teams. You know, you look at Fresno State and San Diego State, but the Aztecs do have 
five more losses compared to the Bulldogs. So I think it's definitely doable, but um, just as Coach Martinez said, just string a couple wins near the end, build some momentum mm-hmm. heading into that Mountain West tournament. Mm-hmm. All right, Brevin, do you want to give some um, SDSU basketball news? Yeah, even though it's off-season for basketball, they're still working as Coach Dutcher and his coaching staff. They're looking um recruiting, and they officially signed um, a guard this past week. They signed um, Trey Pulliam. He's from Navarro Junior College out in Corsicana, Texas. This was back on Tuesday. And Kyle, you, um, you've seen a little bit about Pulliam, right? Yeah, I saw stats, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he, um, with the um, signing of Pulliam, he's able to play immediately. So he's not like some of the other assets that um, have to sit out for one year. Um, he will have two years of eligibility, so he'll be a, a junior coming into SGSU in the fall or in the fall, but he'll start playing in the summer, practicing with the team and Pulliam stands at six foot three and averages he averaged twelve point seven points, twelve point three assists, three and a half rebounds and one point eight steals for Navarro, which was part of a twenty five and seven team that went to the NJCCA Division One region. Uh, 14 championship game uh, last season, and he earned honorable mention accolades and was part of the all-tournament team for Navarro. And that kind of shows you the um, experience and the pretty much the participation he had with the team, and that's what um, Coach Dutcher's looking for in guys that um, you know may not have been you know good out of high school for some reason, whether it's injury, they didn't score a lot, they weren't. Um, part of a winning team um, in their high school, but you know they see it at the junior college level, and Pulliam's a great example of that. Um, he was he um, was one of those guys that injured his leg his senior year of high school, went to junior college, and um, you know was able to get experience that way, and to see that now. And Coach Dutcher saying on extra thirteen sixty on Wednesday. We knew um, guard was a real important need for us this year, obviously with Jeremy Hemsley and Devin Watson, Watson graduating as seniors. We knew we had Malachi Flynn sitting last year. We got KJ Fagan, a fifth-year senior who could score and distribute. But we wanted a guard that played with great pace that could really involve his teammates, knows how to play off of ball screens, and has experience. And he ended by saying, I want to stay older in the back part backcourt and that's what you want especially in college basketball we've talked about this all season long for Aztec basketball is having that senior leadership especially in that guard position yeah I think so definitely and uh, you look at this player coming in you know having that experience especially going to the NJCCA uh, division regionals championship games like games like that and attracting players that come to San Diego State you know that experience is going to be big especially uh, in times of the Mountain West tournament, you know, and uh, whether I, I, my assumption is that uh, Pulliam is going to come off the bench, but he can even make yeah. a push for a starting spot. So mm-hmm. just either way, you know, he, he's definitely going to play mm-hmm. or have a big role in this team. Yeah, it's just going to help the team out. You think about the guards that they have right now, in addition to Fagan and um, Flynn, they've got Jordan Shackle, mm-hmm. Matt Mitchell could play the two sometimes if he has to, you know, you got Adam Seiko to play guard as well. And it's just, providing more depth for yeah. this team, you know, in case an injury happens, you know, like what we saw from Shackle this past season. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
All right, thanks for tuning in to ASIC Sportscast on KCR College Radio, the award-winning San of State. We have just discussed SDSU sports, including ASIC baseball and a couple of news from our ASIC basketball team. Now, so a couple of uh, news from the NCAA uh, football rules changing proposal for 2019. Uh, one of the proposals is for uh, targeting. So basically, the proposal is if a player commits three targeting fouls in the same season, the player could face a one-game suspension. And now the current rule right now is a, that if a player commits a targeting foul, gets ejected from the game for the first half, and if the call comes during the second half, the player is, re- is required to miss the first half of the next game. And also the referees must review replays of the targeting call for it to be confirmed, and if they can't be confirmed, no targeting will be mm-hmm. assessed to it. And we also got some another pro- proposal for overtime. So if a game reaches to five OTs, uh, the teams will run alternative two-point conversions until a winner is determined rather than playing for the opponent's 25-yard line, basically. And the two-minute uh, resting period will be added after the second and fourth uh, OTs. For like an example of that crazy seven OT happened with um Texas A&M beating um UCLA or I'm sorry um yeah UCLA U- LSU LSU sorry there you go yeah, uh, th- yeah I think this with this I think it helps out I think if 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 these um rules get passed I think it's gonna you know c- coaches will you know continue to teach how not to have targeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, for their team um you know obviously you know targeting you know you get suspended from the game we've seen that with our Aztec football team last year you know especially against i think it was arizona state last year with like a few seconds remaining or something like that and you know it kind of just helps uh you know keep the game of football you know we know it's physical as it is but not as physical like violent physically yeah, and these rules are just basically improving on player safety. Mm-hmm. Um, me personally, I, I like both of these rules, um, but I do think that um, if a player gets ejected for targeting, it should just be for the game. Uh, I don't like the rule where they would have to miss the first half of the next yeah. game. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I do like the three targeting fouls uh, in the same se- in the same season uh, in games, one game suspension. I do like that rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you look at OTs. I think it makes sense because it's kind of like you have one of those things where it's like soccer where you have you know the extra time yeah. mm-hmm. and then you know if it doesn't happen you have a shootout yep yeah and mm-hmm. pretty much that's what this overtime is yeah getting a breaks in between mm-hmm. yeah second fourth and you could say six overtime if need be yeah um as well all right so yesterday or last night was the nfl draft uh, it wasn't your traditional flashy as last year or a few years ago, but uh, it was an interesting um, draft. Um, so obviously, the number one pick was uh, Kyle Murray, quarterback from Oklahoma. So back-to-back um, quarterbacks from Oklahoma going number one. Uh, number two, uh, the San Francisco 49ers select uh, Nick Boza, uh, little uh, brother of Joey Bosa that plays for the Chargers. Um, he uh, got selected. Uh, he played with Ohio State. 
Uh, the third pick for the Jets, they, they chose Quentin Williams from Alabama. The Raiders chose Cleanan Farrell. And with the fifth pick, it was Tampa Bay. They chose Devin White, linebacker, LSU. And the New York Giants chose Daniel Jones, quarterback for Duke. Over Dwayne Haskins. <laughs> yep. And we'll, we'll, we had some thoughts about that overall on the draft. Um, the seventh pick for Jacksonville, they chose uh, Josh Allen, defensive lineman for the Kentucky. Detroit, they chose uh, TJ Hawkson, tight end for Iowa. And the ninth pick, the Buffalo Bills, they select Ed Oliver, defensive tackle. From, he played for Houston. And the 10th pick, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they chose Devin Bush, linebacker. He, pay, he played with the Michigan Wolverines. So, guys, what did you think about the draft overall? Well, for me, it's just two picks in the top 10 that were a little surprising, I would say. Maybe a little out of place even. Um, that being Daniel Jones going six to the Giants. And then uh, uh, Cleveland Farrell going four to the uh, Oakland Raiders. So, I think uh, Farrell definitely went a little too high. Um, maybe one of the yeah. best defensive linemen in the draft, but I would, I would definitely pick Josh Allen over mm-hmm. Farrell, especially mm-hmm. if you're the Raiders. You want a pass rusher that can get some pressure on the quarterback and be a really good, uh, just a solid defensive lineman stopping the stopping the run. So, yeah, I think those two picks really surprised me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think I think obviously everyone knew that Kyler Murray was going to go number one. Nick Bosa too. I think maybe I think people were predicting Quinnen Williams to go three, and then pretty much after that, it was pretty much a toss up where everyone was going to go, um, especially with all these defensive guys going four, five, seven, you know, and the rest. And I think it was just after pick after pretty much the Raiders starting just these unpredictable picks that are questionable. <laughs> yeah, head, yeah, head head scratcher there. Um. Yeah, I agree with you, Kyle. The the two very questionable picks was the Giants and the Raiders. Uh, I think with the Giants, it was a missed opportunity for them to select a good uh, pass rusher and this very deep um, pass rushing and offensive lineman. And they missed their opportunities. Now they they don't have enough picks in the later rounds, which I feel like they should have focused in the later rounds instead of all right, let's get the quarterback because he's not going to be there later. Yeah, and for the Giants, I mean, they traded away Olivier yeah. Vernon and mm-hmm. just missing players like that. You want to take advantage of getting a good draft pick, mm-hmm. uh, especially on the defensive line, and they haven't done that yet. I mean, there's still a lot of good picks left, mm-hmm. especially going into the second round. I, th- I think the second round is actually pretty stacked. But, yeah. Um, so the Giants are going to probably want to prioritize that going into the second round, but... You're definitely right in saying that it's surprising not to take a really solid defensive lineman in the first round with mm-hmm. pick number six. Another, I would consider this underrated, but I'm still concerned just because of the organization's history. But the Washington Redskins uh, selected Dwayne Hoskins uh, with the 15th pick. Uh, I felt personally he was the best quarterback in this draft. Uh, I know there's, uh, you know, little um, scouting reports that before the draft that he wasn't ready. Um, he needs more uh, work behind the scenes and stuff like that. But I just worry about, is he going to uh, thrive um, being in uh, the Washington uh, Redskins organization? Because we've seen in the past how 
that organization, you know, it's been very dysfunctional, very bad, especially with their owner and such and such. But we'll see what happens with Dwayne Haskins if they provide um, enough support for him in order to succeed as a quarterback. Yeah, I think they got to improve on their O-line. Mm-hmm. I think that's a priority going forward. And, um, you know, they also traded for Case Keenum from the Broncos. So um, whether Case Keenum gets the starting spot, I don't know how he would be able to over Dwayne Haskins, mm-hmm. honestly. But if he – either way, I do believe that uh, Case Keenum, with his experience at quarterback, um, he's going to be a good asset for Haskins, you know, um, so that Haskins can get some learning experience. Mm-hmm. All right, question for mm-hmm. you, Brevin. Do you think um, – Kyle Murray and Cliff uh, Kingsbury will succeed in um, Arizona. I think it's going to take some time, and I think it also depends on what um, the Cardinals decide to do with um, Josh Rosen. I think that also is going to be unfolded in the next couple of weeks. And you know, I think especially if uh, Josh Rosen doesn't get traded after within the next couple of days during the draft, of what's going to happen after the draft with Josh Rosen and what the Cardinals feel of. Who who's who's gonna be starting um opening day. Yeah, because I feel as uh um well it's another missed opportunity too for the Giants if you think about it. The Giants could have uh traded for Josh um Rosen for mm-hmm. him for his services and um and still have enough um picks for the later rounds. But mm-hmm. in any case, uh to the point for um Arizona Cardinals, I think they just need to build the offensive line mm-hmm. in order for Kyle um, Murray to have mm. success. I don't know long-term. I worry about long-term his success for Kyle Murray. But I think in the short term, um, he'll struggle here and there. But I think he'll have a solid career, I think, mm-hmm. overall. Yeah. Um, Kyle, being a big Broncos fan, what do you think about Noah Fant getting picked by the Broncos? Yeah, the Broncos had the 10th overall pick in the draft, and they ultimately decided to trade uh, with the Steelers. They dropped down to 20, and they also received a second-round pick um, and then a 2020 third-rounder, I believe. Uh, But, yeah, I like that uh, trade by the Broncos going down. You know, um, I think if Ed Oliver didn't go to the Bills, the Broncos would have swooped on him because uh, the Broncos do have a need at defensive tackle as Domotapeco is a free agent this season. But the trade going down, I think it was a very good selection. Uh, Noah Fant being the second rated, uh, second top tight end in the draft. So, uh, yeah, I do like that selection. He's definitely going to be an asset. And the Broncos have hadn't had a lot of stability at the tight end position really since Julius Thomas was in Denver. And uh, they resigned Jeff Hyman to a contract, and obviously they still have Jake Butt at tight end. But Butt's been uh, injured over the past two or three seasons, and. Uh, no, they're hoping for him to be a good backup, so that could be a good one-two punch at tight end for the Broncos. Any other underrated picks or over-selection picks? Um, just looking at this list right now, uh, you know, I think going from twenty to thirty-two, really not any many surprises. But I think the Patriots selecting to kill Harry at thirty-two, I think he's gonna be a monster in New England. Yeah. You know, they have mm-hmm. they have Edelman right now and. Uh, they have they signed Demarius Thomas, but other than that, they're pretty thin at wide receiver. Uh, yeah. They had they have a Philly Dorsett right now as their third wide receiver. So Nikhil Harry stepping in, he'll probably be uh, the number two, and I can see Demarius Thomas being the number three wide receiver. <laughs> so I think he's going to have a lot of success with Tom Brady throwing him the ball. I think too that also kind of helps 
when you don't have a Rob Gronkowski to throw to as well. Uh, just as a receiving point, not necessarily positioning-wise as well. All right, I'm going to uh, read some ads before we go into the NBA playoffs. No plans for the weekend? Check out the House of Blues in downtown San Diego for some amazing concerts and one beautiful venue. Make sure to check out our giveaways on kcrlive.com for a chance to win tickets to concerts throughout the semester and stop by Music a la Mesa from noon p.m. to 1 p.m. on Thursdays for more giveaway opportunities. Make sure to stay connected with us on social media so you don't miss a beat. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and YouTube at KCR College Radio for weekly news, sports updates, as well as your chance to score free tickets to concerts throughout the semester. All right, so the NBA playoffs, we got one game happening tonight, and that's uh, game six with the Golden State Warriors uh, facing the L.A. Clippers. Uh, let's get into that uh, matchup uh, right now. Um, who's going to win this game? Shit, Lakers, or sorry, not the Lakers. Clippers or the uh, Warriors? The Warriors are, let's see, what are they? They're 2-0 and at Staples in this, in this series. Um, I think that goes into account. Um, I feel like the Warriors, they should be closing this one out. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Clippers, you know, with the fire that they've had. And they've um, already won that. Mm-hmm. At, they've already uh, won at Oracle. Yeah, twice. twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if they should wrap it up because if the Warriors don't wrap it up, I think there's a chance for the Clippers to pull off a huge upset for the Warriors. Um, what 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 do you think, Kaya? You think the Warriors will close it up? They have to, right? Well, I don't know if it's going to be tonight. I know they probably will win this series as they should. Uh, but the Warriors, uh, they're ten point favorite, uh, ten point favorites tonight. But um, you know the. As you mentioned, uh, Brevin, you know the Clippers do have a lot of fight in them, and they can definitely pull this one off. They got they need Lou Williams to have a good game. Yeah. You know uh, he's been uh, averaging twenty points this season, and then I think they also need to be carried by uh, uh, power forward Montrezl Harrell. You know mm-hmm. he's had a couple big games in the series too. If they get they get uh, some support as well from uh, Gallinari, uh, I think they can definitely pull it off and send this one to Game Seven. Yeah, I think another key factor in order. For the Clippers to pull off another victory is uh, their bench. They all had to uh, contribute, and I think they have a better bench than the uh, Warriors right now. Yeah, I think yeah. it. Yep. It doesn't help when you have Demarcus Cousins injured, mm-hmm. and I think that's been a big factor for the Warriors these past few games. And I think if the Warriors move on, it's going to be a big factor. You know, if the if the Warriors move on to play Houston. Even in the Western Conference Finals, and if the Warriors make it to the NBA Finals. Mm-hmm. All right, and we do have a game seven tomorrow night at Denver. Uh, that game starts at 7 p.m. Pacific time on TNT. Uh, who do you think is going to win, the Nuggets or the Spurs? You would think the Nuggets because they're at home, and it's tough to win in Denver, especially the air that mm-hmm. Denver has. But I feel like. Um, you know, De- San Antonio won Game One, and in Denver, and I feel like the way Coach Popovich coaches his team, you know, despite not having the 
Tim Duncan, Monty Ginobili, Tony, uh, pa- Tony Parker, Parker, you know, he's, mm-hmm, yeah, he's led this team to, you know, get to seven games. And I I feel like San Antonio, they have a chance to win this game. Um, They still have that chance to win. And, you know, when you still have, when you, when you able to have DeMar DeRozan and Lamarius Aldridge and what that duo has become this year, you know, there's, there's, you can compare that to, um, Jokic and, um, who's the guard for Denver? Um, you know, but you could tell just the, the matchups that San Antonio, they have the chance. Yeah. And it should be a very, I think a tight game seven, very close one. Uh, yeah, I, I would say the Spurs, I'm going to pick them to win just because, you know, Greg Popovich has been to these games before game sevens, you know, um, he's won a couple of them, lost a couple of them before. Yeah, I think there's a, I think a good chance that Spurs can win at Denver. Um, any other uh, knowable surprises in the first round of the playoffs? Kyle, who's your pick for Game Seven? Oh, for this Game Seven, yeah, I'd probably go for the Spurs. You know, you look at Game Six. Uh, Jokic just went off, forty-three points, and um. What do you have? 12 rebounds, 9 assists, almost a triple-double for him. But just really not a lot of support. I mean, Murray had 16, Harris had 14, um, but just really just a lack of any support off the bench for the uh, Nuggets. And you look at the Spurs, I mean, uh, Aldridge and DeRozan are going to get your points, but Rudy Gay in Game 6 had 19 mm-hmm. points. So players like that coming off the bench, and even Bellinelli with 9, you know, if you can get some bench support, you're going to win these these tough games. And um, as you mentioned, Andrew, with the experience of Popovich, I think they're going to advance because Popovich is just a mastermind. Mm-hmm. Any uh, knowable surprises for the playoffs right now? When we think Warriors, I was surprised right now. with OKC that they only won the one game. I think I yeah. thought I thought OKC was going to win maybe two, possibly a third. Um, you know, for that series to go six or seven games. I think it just showed the um, emergence of um, not, uh, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, that duo versus a more popular duo of Paul George and Russell Westbrook. Another thing, uh, the Oklahoma hasn't won a uh, road playoff game since Durant left um, OKC. Right. That's mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah. Three years. Mm-hmm. Um as of right now, I think my surprise would be uh, just right now the Golden State Warriors, you know, having a tough time closing out a um, feisty, so to say, uh, Clippers team because, you know, that team doesn't have their best players, um, Lou Williams, and they just traded their uh, best player before they traded him was, um, uh, I always forget. Tobias, Tobias yeah. Harris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so far I would think that's my surprise right now. Uh, should have Indiana won at least one game when they were leading a couple of those games. I think yeah, I think they had the opportunity too. They won. They didn't. They didn't lose by like twenty, like some of these other teams in another series. But I mean, game three they only lost by eight. Game four they lost by four. You know, and the margin of victory was small compared to a lot of other series that we've seen. Even NBA Finals last year was 20, 30-point margins. Mm-hmm. 
Um, well, except game one. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. do you think um, Jared uh, Donnelly overprotected his uh, teammates um, last Saturday? That led to that melee, or yeah. Well, he's he's an instigator. I mean, he's obviously yeah. one of the worst players on the team. I would say well, probably not one of the worst, but he's not one of the best. Definitely, he's not. below average. Basically. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. So. Um, when he's able to instigate um, uh, that whole situation, and uh, I mean, he he ejected himself out of the game, and then he got Jimmy Butler ejected, so mm-hmm. he's taking away one of Philly's stars. And you know, I mean, it's pretty smart. I mean, it's not a bad move. <laughs> I wouldn't blame him. He's sacrificing himself for so, the team, but um, ultimately, it I didn't I, work out. Yeah, <laughs> I knew that Philly was going to pull it off. They were the better team, and uh, having Embiid. Uh, in that series was definitely helpful. You know, he's been dealing with that knee issue. So uh, having him on the team and then having the support that they have, even off the bench, really helps them. Mm-hmm. And then speaking of Philly, um, they will be playing uh, Toronto on Saturday at 4.30 p.m. on TNT. Mm-hmm. And Game 2 will be on Monday at Toronto on TNT. And uh, Boston will also face... Um, Milwaukee game one is on Sunday at 8 a.m. on 10 a.m. 10 a.m. Sorry on ABC and game two is on Tuesday on TNT. Mm-hmm. So Eastern Conference semis. Mm-hmm. Which Top one four. is a better matchup right now? Uh, Boston, Milwaukee, or Philly and Toronto? I got Philly and Toronto. I want to say the same. Yeah, going to be a great series, mm-hmm. and I think I think the Celtics are. Maybe gonna win a game or two, but the Bucks are too good. And you know, mm-hmm. Celtics have just been too inconsistent this season. But yeah, you know, between the Sixers and the Raptors, I feel like it's gonna be a toss up. And um if I had to make a pick, I would go for the Sixers uh in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Bucks. And then I would probably like to see the Bucks advancing to the to the NBA finals because I mm-hmm. think they're the best team in the East right now. But in this series, I'd probably go for the Sixers over the Raptors. How many games? Um, I'll take it to seven games. Uh, yeah, I was I'll take say. this to seven games. You know, the Raptors are a really good roster as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate rooting against Kawhi, but I don't know. Ben Simmons, if he plays aggressive, he's gonna mm-hmm. he's gonna be a leader on the team. And so, if he continues to do that, just leading the team through each game at a time, they're gonna be able to mm-hmm. uh, advance. I'm gonna go with the opposite. I'm gonna go. Uh, Boston and Milwaukee. I think this uh, series will at least go a uh, game six. I won't be surprised if it goes to a game seven, but uh, I'm gonna choose Boston this one. I'm gonna go Boston with the upset against uh, Milwaukee. And the only reason why I go with Boston is because Kyrie Irving's played phenomenal in that first round against Indiana. Uh, Jason Tatum's been playing pretty solid. Um, they they still have uh, Brad Stevens, one of the bright young coaches in the NBA. Um, they have a lot of uh, shooters to shoot around. The only thing that concern with um, with Milwaukee can they play still consistency with the uh, the Boston uh, Celtics um, can um, and be you know continue on to score a lot of points in order to uh, shoot those um, needed. Um, buckets that he needs to shoot because he knows that right now he's not a, a league average um, shooter. But I'm going to go with Boston and to take down the Milwaukee um, Bucks. And I think they'll face Philly in the in the finals, conference finals in this one. Mm-hmm. 
All right, some MLB uh, news. So Jacob DeGrom from the New York Mets had an MRI for um, elbow soreness that we talked about last week. He uh, Currently, right now, he's on the 10-day 10, 10 injury list. The MRI results uh, came back as clean this past Monday. And uh, another pitcher, Nathan Uvalde for the Boston Red Sox, underwent uh, astrophic surgery to remove loose uh, body bodies from his right elbow mm-hmm. and could pitch again in six weeks. Uh, same arm um, that he got uh, procedure from the surgery wasn't the same one that he had uh, Tommy John surgery in 2017. So that's a little bit of a yikes moment for the mm-hmm. uh, Boston Red Sox. And uh, Gio Gonzalez was released by the New York Yankees and uh, I guess you can say a couple of days later, he signed with the Milwaukee Brewers uh, on Wednesday for a uh, one-year deal, $2 million. And after that, he fired his uh, agent, Scott Boris. <laughs> it's crazy. And uh, Vladimir, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will make his uh, Major League debut today at mm. um, Toronto. Yeah, in about an hour. Yeah. An hour for most anticipated... Or not about an hour, about... I think it's about starting now. Less than less than half an hour, less than thirty minutes at four oh seven. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Damn. Any uh, predictions? Um, if you'll go home run, two for four, strike. He'll get out. a hit. Yep, agree. <laughs> he'll get one hit. He'll get. He'll get at a, least. Yeah, at least. I'm gonna say he'll have a double, a double. I could see double, it. a double in a in a single. He's got the walk. weekend to get his first major league hit in <laughs> yeah. front of his home fans in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And his family, he'll, he'll, too. Yes. Yeah. I think it's going to be today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be today. All right. So let's talk about the Padres. Um, they're going to face the Washington Nationals. And as of right now, it's, if things are still going to progress in the game, I last I checked, like it was raining. But it looks like there's still going to be a game tonight and the lineup today right now is Fernando Tatis Jr. will lead off and batting second will be Will Myers Manny Machado will, will bat third Ramiel Reyes will be on the cleanup spot Eric Hosmer will bat fifth Ian Kinsler will bat sixth Austin Hedges seventh Manny Margot in the eighth spot and Strong will be in the ninth spot. And um, some transitioning news uh, for the Padres. They uh, recalled uh, Ty France from AAA El Paso, um, SDSU uh, alumni. And uh, they put uh, left fielder Jose Perella on the 10-day IL with a strained left oblique. And that move was made on Wednesday. Yeah, just a couple hours before the, the Padres take on the Mariners. Mm-hmm. Do you think uh, Ty France... Should have uh, started right now. Mm, I wouldn't say necessarily started. I think it's him trying to just adjust to what the how major league the major leagues is different from AAA and you know getting to know all the plays for the Padres. Even though you probably saw most of them spring training and you had new plays that they've added in, um, you know, getting used to with all his teammates. You know, he was able to meet them not just right before the game but after the game and on the flight to DC and you know, got to spend the day with them yes get to spend the off day with them yesterday and uh in 
the nation's capital. So I think it's him just getting adjusted to the team. I think I think I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a pinch hitting appearance. Obviously, when you face a guy like Matt Scherzer, uh, yeah, Max Scherzer, I think Strasburg tomorrow, mm-hmm. yeah, especially with the bullpen. Um, I think especially with the bullpen um, of the Nationals, I think especially if you have a left-handed reliever. I mean, although you know you have Francisco Mejia on the bench. I feel like Ty France may get that opportunity. Did um playing against the Mariners a couple of days ago help a little bit the Padres to get their I, mojo mm-hmm. a little bit? I back? think it showed where this team is at. I mean, we saw them playing NLS teams. We saw them, you know, um, you know, play the Giants. You know, we haven't the seen Cardinals. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Cardinals. You know, we haven't seen them play the Dodgers yet. Um, that won't be till next weekend, but mm-hmm. I think what not only is this uh, the two game series against the Mariners show, but what the Na- the Nationals playing the Braves are going to show is what what who the Padres really are this season and how far they've grown since last year. Adding Manny Machado, adding Fernando Tatis Jr. You know, as long as the additions that you have, but even the additions of the pitching staff, the newcomers of the pitching staff. Nick Bargavichis, Matt Strom in the starting rotation, Chris Paddock, although Chris Paddock won't get to face the Nationals, but especially against the Braves, we'll get to see Chris Paddock. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Paddock, he was phenomenal oh, on Wednesday, striking out <laughs> nine Mariners in seven innings. Out-dueling the King. Yeah, he's... Felix he, Hernandez. He had that little bit of a trouble in the first inning, you know, bases loaded, but after that, he Locked just retired it, 19 hit by straight. Pitch. Yeah. Strikeout D. Gordon mm-hmm. on the 19 in a row. Mm-hmm. On that Tuesday night uh, when they faced the Mariners, um, you know, what, what was your thoughts when uh, Austin Hedges hit that home run, that the, lucky home run consider? The, the reliever that was pitching, Corey <laughs> Guerin, his face just described the whole play. His face went from like, oh, Tim, or uh, not Tim Beckham, uh, Malik Smith is about to make this grab, and the yeah. next thing you know, uh, it goes over the fence, and it goes from... Great on to his glove and it comes oh. out right up there. <laughs> yeah, you think that's more of a uh, blooper moment, better than um, Jose Canseco got hit in the head? Uh, no, no, the, <laughs> the Jose Canseco is more funnier. It's like getting hit by an apple in the head, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, would you consider the starting pitching being a real issue right now? Not really. I think it's the offense. I mean, we saw during that six game losing streak. The pitching was only giving up four or five runs max. It wasn't. It wasn't like eight, nine, ten runs, you know, max. It was only a single. It was low single digits, four or five. You know, it's just the offense. They couldn't get going. I mean, it. it you needed more help around Fernando Tatis during that six game losing streak to mm-hmm. hit. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The pitching so far has been. Um, sharp right now mm-hmm. uh the bullpen i feel will always be the strength of the team um would you consider uh kirby yates the most underrated reliever in baseball right now he's up there yeah when you yeah, when, when you lead all of baseball with a dozen saves and 12 of 15 wins or whatever it is that the potteries have yeah like that's like 75 or 80 mm-hmm. percent yeah <laughs> that's a lot yeah i know Kirby may not throw like a hundred plus 
miles per hour. To. It's that splitter that he's, he's got. Got that nasty splitter, and still he can touch ninety seven <laughs> if he wants <laughs> to. He's got that that pitch that a closer wants. You know, we saw Trevor Hoffman's changeup, change up. Craig Kimbrell's, um, you know, that ninety eight fastball combined with that eighty six knuckle curve. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Fernando Rodney with his changeup. You know, and you know he's spelled that what he's brought to the Padres and so on, you know, all these closers, you know, rolled his chat been firing one Oh three, if he wants, mm-hmm. you know, and every, every closer has their type of pitch that they have and Kirby eights for him. It's the splitter that he's got. That's, that's induced a lot of soft contact and a lot of outs. We saw, especially on Wednesday, you know, despite giving up that hit with one out, mm-hmm. double play on the ball game d- hit didn't matter. Yeah. Everyone going home happy with the sweep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you. Yeah, Kirby Yates um, is underrated right now and should be talked about more. And you know, um, no, no. Don't get me wrong, Kyle. I know he was with the the Angels, but does it hurt not having you know a good reliever? Uh, having Kirby Yates. Yeah, I mean, for the Angels, they picked up Cody Allen this year, and he's been a little. Uh, he's had his struggles, and they they removed him as the closer. Uh, just recently, so yeah, it kind of hurts seeing uh, a player like that kind of slip away. But um, you know, for the Angels, their bullpen has been pretty solid, I say, just as a collective this season. And um, but they've been struggling as of late, especially with Cody Allen. So um, it's really good to see Kirby mm-hmm. um, yeah, on the it, on this team. You yeah, know, with a team that's definitely growing, um, you can see it after every game too. You know, they, they're a young team. Uh, have some veterans on there that can lead the team as well. So it's good to see him on a team where he's thriving. Mm-hmm. I think what makes Kirby Yates underrated is, you know, the where he came from. Yeah, you know, I think yeah. bouncing around with yeah. New York, being Yankees, that, you know, getting race. the Padres with the weight, the weight on waivers, pretty yeah. much. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually getting to being that eighth inning setup guy to another guy picked up off waivers of Brad Hand. Uh-huh. Um, you yeah. know, you know. And what he's emerged into, you know, especially with the Padres got Francisco Mejia. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, these pa- the Padres making these waiver wire deals that have led to success for this team. Mm-hmm. You know, Brad Hand, Kirby, he's just to name a couple. Yeah, and a couple of signings with uh, Craig Stammen. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you say so far it's early in the season, but how important? Is this road trip right now with going to the East Coast? I touched know, upon DC, it. Yeah, I just touched Arizona. upon it pretty much a little bit, but I think it's going to be big. It, you know, we know where Atlanta is going to be, especially for them wanting to be the top of the AL East. I know Andrew, you have the Nationals to win the NL East, but I think it's going to show how much what this Padres team is. You know, facing teams out of their division, but a team that they could. You know, for a team that wants to contend, going to play in the playoffs, you know, it's teams that they're going to play. Teams like Washington, potentially. Teams like Atlanta, you know, St. Louis is part of that. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Reds in a couple of years, who knows. But it's going to show that uh, how well these Padres can do against the National League. And, you know, team, you know, some of the, you know, these are teams that if you want to make the playoffs, you got to win against these teams. You know, yeah. teams outside your division. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and these teams are all around the 500 range, too. So it's a very competitive NL East going on that road trip. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, will the Padres have a 
above 300 on base percentage at the end of the year. I think they do. I think you think about what Fernando Tatis has brought to this team. Um, you know, obviously riding that 12 game hitting streak, you've got Manny Machado, who's going to give you hard line drives every single mm-hmm. time, you know, and that's kind of what the Padres have, I think, lacked the past couple of years is that on base percentage. And that's what, you know, especially when you have templates hitting coaches in the past 11, 12 years, whatever that number is, you know, <laughs> you want to, that's been the key thing for the Padres is getting, just getting on base, you know, walks hit by a pitch, you know, getting on base, catcher's interference, whatever that is, you know, you know, we saw Tatis bunt yet, um, Tuesday night. You know, Will Myers tried to do the same thing. And, you know, it's tr- pretty much getting on base any way you can, and that's going to help out this team. You know, we saw Fernando Tatis bunt against Madison Bumgarner on opening day. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not worrying about who you're facing. It's just getting on and helping the team out and getting that next guy up. Mm-hmm. Um, How many bat flips will we see this season? For the Padres. It depends on the situation of the game. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll go with that answer too. Yeah, me too. I just want to see some from Tatis, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. D- dominate uh, winner league style too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Him, and then you attach that Will Myers, that flip that he got, where he throws it like 20 feet away from the home plate. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, The Padres will be playing 19 games with quality teams, including, you know, with this road trip. Um, how many wins will they get? You know, from those road trips we mentioned, they'll be facing uh, the Dodgers here at Peco Park. The New York Mets will be playing here in Peco Park. They go back on the road in Colorado and LA Dodgers. I think it'd be ideal if you can go 12 and 7. Yeah, yeah. The, I would say the same thing. Anytime you're able to. Um, play against these teams especially uh with the majority of these games being on the road you want to make want to take advantage of that and get the most wins as you can so i could see them with 11 or 12 wins and mm-hmm. um as you said that's ideal especially heading forward mm-hmm. going back to that last road trip that the Padres had going to st louis going to san francisco going to arizona they went seven on th- seven and three in that road trip that i think really showed what this Padres team is you know the goal is to win at home but the the bigger goal is to how well you can mm-hmm. win on the road. the road. Yeah, that's the biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with maybe, I think they'll win a couple of series. Uh, I really want to see how they do against the Dodgers. I do. That's the mm-hmm. most, you know, that we're looking forward mm-hmm. to. But I think they can win a series against the Mets, Colorado, um, and even potentially um, the Atlanta Braves. The, the, yeah, and two with the Dodgers. This is the only weekend series against the Dodgers at Petco Park this year, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think that should be a big one. A couple more Early times mm-hmm. where the Padres and Dodgers should be on the weekend, especially for the type of series and the type of crowd that it brings, whether it's a Petco Park or Dodger Stadium. There should be a couple more times because last year the Padres and Dodgers didn't face each other at Petco Park mm-hmm. during on a weekend series. Mm-hmm. Because well, last year was they played in Mexico. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and yeah. I think honestly, out of all these uh, road series, I do think that some of the most important games do come at home. I mean, you mentioned the Dodgers, them being uh, the team that they are, and then um, I'm gonna try and go see a Mets game. 
Because I think that series is going to be pretty interesting, especially with the pitching matchups. Yeah, that that should be a good one too. May uh, six, seven, eight. Yeah, and them being uh, the NL East leader right now, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, is there a little? I know it's like I said, early in season since we only got three mats left. But is it a little early to consider that the Padres have a negative? Uh, uh, differential score right now. I think it's minus mm. thirteen or no. something like that. Mm. Do you because, think it'll go up? Oh yeah, I think it will. I mean, there's teams in the past that have made the playoffs and had a negative run differential. As long as they don't get it to like where they've had in the past, negative one fifty, negative two hundred, or negative, I don't know, yeah, twelve something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, whatever it was one. like two years ago when they won seventy one games, but only had like a two twelve on the negative side run differential. You know, I think you're going to be fine and shows the growth that this team has to be able to fight with other teams, not just in the division, but with everyone else that they play with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I think that um, I'm going to have to agree with you on this one. I, you know, I think that uh, run di- differential obviously plays a big part, but um, they're above 500 right now and they're only a game back. So, I mean, as I mentioned before, you just got to take it a game at a time and if you win games, you win games, no mm-hmm. matter how it happens. So um, them being in the position that they're in, I think it's a it's an advantage for the Padres, and they just got to f- keep finding ways to win, whether if it's uh, even by a run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Kyle, to coming for our show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, really fun time being on mm-hmm. here this semester, so thank you guys for having me. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for listening to KCR College Radio, the award-winning San of State. We hope you listen to us next week at 3 p.m. for another edition of Aztec Sportscast. Not just any other edition, but our final show. Yeah, final show with Brevin and Andrew. All right. We hope you guys listen to us next week.